Hey everyone, welcome to the Wild and Uncut podcast brought to you by Ruger. I'm your host, Christy Titus. Thank you for tuning in. The line is going hot, so let's go full send on this episode. Only Republicans can support or only Democrats can support. It's, it's something that really can bring people together. And go where the mind hasn't been. So mm-hmm. if we don't train our minds first, then we are tactical. Even if it's my second Olympics and I win a medal, what do I do with a medal? If you don't have freedom, if you, don't, you have, don't have anything. You have nothing. Hello, ladies. I lied to you before. We are back a lot sooner than later, and for good reason. We have Beth Walker here. Beth is an incredible young lady, if you guys have not been following along with her. She's on the Girls With Guns shooting team. She's on Team Ruger. And Beth, you have such an incredible journey into shooting sports and discovery that ties into all the ladies at the Well-Armed Woman. I know our audience would just love to hear your story. So my story is actually kind of interesting how I got involved in the firearms industry. Um, It started out with some really severe concussions. Uh, I had some injuries that prohibited me from being able to play other sports when I was very, very young. Uh, I was 12 years old. And that just kind of was an avenue for me needing a safer um, alternative to traditional sports. So I got involved with the shooting community. From there, I've been able to do Second Amendment advocacy, work with the well-armed woman, work with uh, Girls With Guns Clothing, Ruger, um, and a couple other amazing companies. So back up, <laughs> do, 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 do. NRA, four, five, four years ago? It was in Louisville. Four so. years ago? Morgan is singing at the Ruger booth, beaten yeah. down, like, uh-uh, getting her jam on like she does. Down, like <laughs> always. Beaten down, uh-uh, <laughs> like get, she does. Getting the music going. You show up at the booth, yes. Jen and Narissa meet you. And this is how amazing our community is, ladies, of the well-armed woman. They meet you and they like go full mama bear hug. Oh yeah, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And really, if it weren't for that chance meeting, um, at NRA show, I, I wouldn't be where I am right now. So it was it was amazing. <laughs> so that chance meeting happened at my show? Yes, actually it did. So Woo, I'm taking credit. That's what I'm trying to say. Like you were like going full and she's like, I gotta yeah. get me some of this. I'm yeah, like, so <laughs> on this group. <laughs> it was all because I was involved with a knife company that had a relationship with Jen and Narissa and they walked me over there and you were actually there singing, I believe, when I made that introduction. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Amazing. And now you're on Team Ruger, yes. you're competing Tell us a little bit about, you know, what you're doing as a competitor. Yeah, as a competitor, I'm really kind of all over the place. Uh, I travel all around the country and shoot three gun. Um, I've been doing that for actually five years now. My five year anniversary was this month of shooting three gun. Happy Annie. (laughs) So it's been a, a great time, but really Ruger and Girls With Guns have been a huge blessing in the shooting sports to me. And Girls With Guns is really the reason that I was introduced to Ruger Mm -hmm. um, and had that relationship. So they've been a huge, just part of my my journey, really honestly there from the beginning, Mm -hmm. um, since before I actually started in the competitive shooting sports. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I'm just traveling all over the country, um, shooting with my rifle and pistol and shotgun. Mm -hmm. You ladies, I don't know if you can see at home, but she has no pores, she's very young. How young are you, Beth? <laughs> I just turned 20 this month. 20? So, yeah, and I've been shooting since I was 15. 
we went to dinner last night, and I was like, who would like a drink, Beth? And she was like, um, no. And I was <laughs> okay, you're not 21. That's a, I'm sorry I even asked. But are you, are you now the youngest shooter, professional shooter on Ruger's team? I am the youngest professional shooter on Ruger's team. Um, and really, Girls With Guns, I was for a long time. And then I had made an introduction to a very young shooter named Avery. Um, I believe she's 12 now. And yeah, so I now met Miss Avery. Yes. She's adorable. And she's on Team Girls With Guns now. Mm -hmm. So it's been really interesting how, you know, as a young person, I've been able to kind of hopefully and continue to build bridges for these young shooters that are up and coming to be able to be involved with companies yeah. like Girls With Guns, Ruger, and, and other major powers in the industry. So there's a lot of ladies out there right now that are mothers and grandmothers, and they don't have a Beth Walker to guide and yeah. mentor their, their child into competitive shooting. What advice can you give these ladies that they can take home and apply to their own families? I would say don't push your kids. Um, there's a lot of people that ask me how they can get their young kids involved and how they can get them interested. And I've seen way too many young kids get burnt out in the industry. Um, they get thrown in, parents push very hard, and then they realize, oh, I didn't love this in the first place. So that's something I would really encourage is to make sure this is something that your child wants. You know, my parents waited two years to get me involved in the shooting sports after initially discovering it because they wanted to make sure it was something I wanted, not something that they wanted for me. Yeah. So, and they've been super, super supportive the whole time, but also just make time to really go over the basics with your child. Uh, you know, the four, four rules of firearm safety, it, it sounds cliche, but just make sure your kids know those by heart. Yeah. Know what's happening inside the firearm as you're taking these shots. Because um, I think that, that background knowledge really almost makes it more exciting for them. You know, there's a little explosion happening in these guns and talk them through every step of what's happening um, and make sure that they truly are knowledgeable about it. Because again, I see way too many kids that come into this because their parents have asked them to, their parents have pushed it and they don't know what's going on. And it's sad for them because they, they get put in a bad position. So just make sure your kids have the background knowledge that really allows them to thrive and make sure that they want it. So for those kids that are there, yeah, and they want it, they love shooting, yeah. where can they go? Okay, so this is something that I was very confused about when I first started. We had a 20-match series in our backyard, and we're just searching the wrong words on the internet and couldn't find it. Um, so looking at a website like Practice Score, um, mm -hmm. you can find all kinds of matches, a precision rifle, strictly pistol matches, rimfire, um, three gun, the whole nine yards. So really, you know, finding matches in your area and taking your child to those matches, maybe not shooting the first one that they go. Um, a lot of these people are super welcoming and will let your kids, you know, borrow their guns and shoot a stage after the match is over just to kind of get a feel for it. Mm -hmm. That way you also aren't making an investment in firearms that you aren't gonna stick with. You find yeah. things you like, you know, yeah. Buy once, cry once. It's kind of a sad, <laughs> sad thing to say. I love that. But <laughs> if you buy quality um, firearms, quality gear from the beginning, um, it makes your whole journey a lot easier. So going to a competition, uh, making those relationships with current shooters, mm -hmm. uh, asking them questions uh, is a huge, huge step up in the game if you start out that way rather than buying all the stuff and going to a match and then realizing that your gear and is, your guns is, don't work yeah. for the competition set. You have the wrong. Yeah, yeah. And competitive shooters buy 
I would say by most standards are incredibly welcoming, especially to young people, because this industry is dominated from 30s and up. So having that younger demographic coming into yeah. it ensures that their matches that they love will stick around. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's I think important. a huge part of that Absolutely. is just making those relationships with people that are established in the community, whether it's professionally um, with a company or just somebody that's an avid shooter on their local competition circuit. Having those friendships and gaining information from those people is so, so important. Uh, did you grow up around firearms? Yes, I grew up in a very firearms-friendly home. Um, my dad's law enforcement. Our family has a huge history of being involved in hunting, but funny enough, I've never been hunting, ever. Oh, that's a whole other can of worms. We're going to get there. That's good so, to know. But I grew up in a very firearms-friendly home. Um, I believe I shot for the first time when I was seven or eight, and it was a Ruger Mark III was my first gun that I ever shot. Wow, full circle for Very you. Very full circle, Being sponsored yeah. by Ruger now. Yeah, I, I've written a couple articles about that, that it really just, I feel like it's a God thing, you know, that I, I definitely have that full circle journey. But um, yeah, I've shot since I was very young. Um, but before I even took those shots with a 22, my dad did take the time to really walk me through the safety elements, made sure that I could recite the four rules of gun safety without any help. Um, that I knew what was going on in the firearm. I I think I'd been dry firing for probably two and a half years before I ever shot a gun. Mm. So I really, it was really an educational journey for me. And I feel like now I'm so much more thankful for that because I can have conversations with, you know, these industry powerhouses. And I feel like I know what's going on and I know my gear, my guns, and I'm able to explain why I choose what I choose and things You're like prepared. that. Yeah, You're I'm more prepared. prepared. I'm more educated, um, and I think that's something that the firearms industry needs is educated people that are willing to share information with others. Because uh, we've hit kind of, I feel like, a plateau as an industry with that, really reaching out to people that aren't familiar with firearms. Um, and now I feel like because of social media, because of groups like The Well-Armed Woman, um, Girls With Guns Clothing, they're doing great outreach work with people that aren't familiar. Yeah, so important. and. I grew up, my father also was a hunter, never took me hunting. <laughs> and, and he just was getting into hunting a few years before I was born. So, you know, he, it wasn't like he was an expert or traveled around. He just hunted in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, but and we had firearms in the home. I was never taught anything firearm related. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later in life, okay. actually. My journey with shooting and hunting came way later in life, you know, my early 20s. So like a year or two ago. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we're pretty much the same age. Yeah, I mean, I'm 21. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> we wish. <laughs> right? Gosh. I actually like, don't want to be 21 again. <laughs> as soon as I hit 30, everyone was so scared. They're like, oh, you're going to have like a meltdown when you hit your 30s. I loved hitting 30 because I was like, the pressure's kind of off, <laughs> you know? Like, my mom's like, well, she's not married yet, whatever. I'm not going to bother anymore. She doesn't have kids yet. I'm not going to bother anymore. Just these, I, I could do my own thing yeah. and I could, like, less societal pressures kind of. But I've also heard hitting 40 is even better. And I've heard <laughs> from people hitting 50 is even better. In the so I'm so just, much to look forward to. So much to look forward to. <laughs> but um, going back to firearms in the home uh, at a young age. I've got friends, I don't have kids myself, 
but I have friends, um, and I know this is a personal preference, and, and, and it's not like a rule book that I know of about you know when to teach your children about firearms. Um, but I've got friends that they they say I'm not going to have them in my house. I don't. I want to take the curiosity away. Yeah. We hear all these awful stories, awful headlines of you know child sh- just recently a child shooting mm-hmm. you know his mom while she's on a Zoom call in the back yeah. of the head by accident, right? Yeah. Um, I, I've heard the theory of well, if you take the curiosity away from a very young age, explaining <clears throat> maybe not necessarily shooting with them at a at a young age, you know, below yeah. five, and that's up to you. I, I always like to hear from people. When they're teaching their kids about firearms, about firearm safety, um, showing their children where the firearms are in the home, mm-hmm. uh, what was your personal experience with all of that growing up? So I was told where my my father's firearms were. Um, I knew that from a very, very young age because from what my parents have said, I was a very curious kid. Um, but I always talk about it like we teach our kids not to walk in the kitchen and pick up the kitchen knives um, because there is an inherent danger to them unless you know how to use them and unless you know how to use them properly. So introduce it to them like you would a kitchen knife. You know, you don't, you don't touch it unless you have direct permission. Um, you're in a safe environment. You have supervision, um, things like that. And then really for me, um, once my dad started talking me through the background of it, I was less curious. Um, and what age was that? I would say I was probably... I was probably five when we started going over the actual safety elements of it, but I think I was aware of the firearms before then, um, just because it was very normal for my dad to conceal carry. Uh, My mom grew up in rural Montana, um, strong hunting family. So, I mean, it wasn't ever like a taboo subject in our home. Um, But another thing I like to tell people is, you know, if you personally don't want to have firearms in your home, your kids still need to be aware because they may Absolutely. go to someone else's house and, and encounter a firearm or something that seems out of place. Whoa, that's like, so, I never even thought yeah, about that. That's mind-blowing. It's you never important. know what a kid's going to do with that, you know. Or kids, if they have friends. They right. go to a friend's house and they're, they're educated on safe handling of mm-hmm. firearms and maybe the friend yeah. hasn't had that same background and the kid can actually step in and be like, whoa, we yeah. got to not step do this, back. This get isn't, back. This is off, exactly. off limits. And that's so important. Because yeah, because you never know what a kid's going to do. They grab things and throw them in backpacks. They, you know, bring their backpack home. And what if, you know, they bring a firearm into the home yeah. with a family that isn't comfortable with it mm-hmm. or something like that. So always making sure that you have that background knowledge and that your kid knows, you know, if you see something that looks out of place to you or that you're not comfortable with, doesn't mean that you grab it and you you play with it. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to an adult um, and, and go from there. But, I mean, kids run around with Nerf guns and BB guns and, and yeah. things like that all the time. But there is still an inherent sense of safety that they need to understand. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's so funny because my little cousins, uh, they're seven, six and seven, um, run around with Nerf guns all the time, but their finger off the trigger because we've taught them with See? regular firearms that that's something that's important. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's something almost that they kind of joke about now because they'll yeah. look at me and they'll just be like this. And that, but that's how I started driving too. Yeah. I, when I first learned how to drive, I was so used to that finger off the trigger that I kept my hands like this on the steering wheel. I don't know that it was <laughs> if it was just second nature to me or something. Because I've been shooting. Yeah. I didn't get my license until I was 18. Um, 
Okay. Yeah, I was a little old. I don't know why I waited that long, but... Because you were being chauffeured around, it was nice. But I was handling guns for three years before that, almost constantly. I mean, They're hours both, a day. I yeah. mean, I think there's inherently there's a lot of danger in oh, driving yes. a vehicle. Yes. So, you know, being yeah. responsible about it, there's nothing wrong with that. I just, yeah. My dad always made fun of me. He took pictures of me. He's like, she's got trigger discipline even when she's driving a car, which doesn't really make sense, <laughs> but must just be, must just be second nature. <laughs> So yeah. as young as you are, you're also a Second Amendment advocate for other young people. So tell everybody a little bit about what you're doing on the advocacy side. Yeah. So I've been involved with the DC Project Women for Gun Rights for four and a half years now, and I'm the Indiana State Director and also the Social Media Director for that organization. Ooh, Good for are you. Are you friends with Janet Holcomb? Uh, I know her. Okay, um, I gotta hook you up with her. Yeah, She's amazing. I've, I've, I believe I've met her once or twice, but never been to the range with her or anything. Oh. I got invited to an event last week with her, but I just was. She had a new, a new range open. Yes, yeah. I was just too busy to get to it, but I'd love to go out. I, I absolutely. Janet is the governor, Eric Holcomb, uh, his his wife. Yes. Um, she helped put together NRA shooting sports. <laughs> at Camp Atterbury yeah. in Indiana. So okay. she really took the initiative to put their shooting facility on the map for NRA sports and competition. Yeah. So. From what I've heard, she's been an amazing advocate Love for the her. Second Amendment. But I took her elk hunting a couple years ago. Oh, that's ago. awesome. She, <laughs> she's pretty awesome, righteous. <laughs> she's good with a gun. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So Sorry, yeah. I didn't Oh, no, you. you're good. Um, but the DC Project has really been my avenue for the introduction into the advocacy world. Um, and because of that, I've been involved with other uh, political groups, Turning Point USA, um, Young Americans for yeah. Liberty. I've done Great a couple groups. campus speeches um, during COVID, so it was all virtual, but a couple uh, campus speeches for Turning Point about the Second Amendment. Uh, and really my mission is just to educate other young people because we are gonna be a huge voting body um, over the next decade, and so, Teaching them that you know your Second Amendment rights really are on the line right now uh, is huge. My generation is insanely aggressive in the advocacy world, uh, for better or for worse, um, because of social media. I think that's been a huge thing. Yeah, and it's I, almost like they have to anchor a flag yes, and yeah. pick a team. Right, right. Yeah. And there's there's no in betweens. And so what I want to do is I want to come on these platforms and be an educational force. Um, so maybe somebody that has been adamantly anti-gun their entire life will run across my page and see a positive image of the shooting sports. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that we really need to be adamant about as an industry. Is, the optic that we're putting yes, out there. Yes, and knowing that everywhere you go, you're a representation of the firearms community, of the 2A community, and never, never give somebody a bad taste in their mouth because it's so easy to do. Yeah. Um, one irresponsible action can create a whole chain chain effect of, of bad things for the entire industry. So really being um, a positive role model and an educational force, I think, is what I've sought to do with my, my platform. But social media has been a huge part of it. And there's been a lot of people that I've reached, even in other countries, um, hearing about some of the things that have happened in Europe with their, their gun rights and their ability to have firearms in their homes has been very eye-opening for me because it can happen yeah. in a matter of weeks and months. Yeah. So my husband's European. I can tell you yes. all about this. <laughs> yeah, knowing that we a whole oh. another yeah. segment about that. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. knowing that we really are 
I mean, we're on the brink of something like that happening. And for my generation especially, because of the ability we have with social media to reach people, I think that really is an underused um, way of communication. Mm. Going back to kids, or young adults mm -hmm. even, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you're having to, to assert yourself or, or educate around? Um, and then what are the talking points you're giving those, those individuals to kind of set the record straight? Yeah, I, I think a huge one um, is that the firearms community isn't inclusive. Um, that's been a huge... Inclusive meaning gender diversity? Gender diversity, racial diversity. Okay. I mean, just truly everything, you know. The Second Amendment isn't partisan. Absolutely um, not. It's a constitutional matter, and that's all it is. It's not, it's not something that only Republicans can support or only Democrats can support. It's, it's something that really can bring people together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the DC Project has been an incredible example of this to me mm -hmm. because we have women of literally every political party, um, sexuality, uh, occupation, race. We have, I mean, literally, we cover the entire spectrum. Mm -hmm. And if that's not inclusivity, I don't know what is. Um, and the Second Amendment really can foster that because it's a bridge that can be built among all different walks of life. Um, and another one is that you know firearms owners don't want to associate with people that aren't pro-gun. So necessarily in, in this kind of society that we're living in, I think there's a very negative view of firearms owners because of the media and, and what's what we are portrayed as. Mm -hmm. But, you know, building bridges is so important. And reaching out to people that aren't sure about firearms, aren't sure about how to use them is, I think, a huge way that we can solidify that we are an inclusive community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because some people aren't as blessed as I have been with the family and the community that I've been involved in. I grew up obviously very pro-gun in a very pro-gun community, um, rural Indiana. I mean, you can't get more pro-gun than that. <laughs> so there's, I've grown up in a great community, but some people don't have that. And being that bridge and showing them that, you know, what, however you vote is fine. I don't care. However you, um, who you date doesn't matter, whatever. But our common ground is that we support the Second Amendment and we're gonna do everything we have to to defend that right to defend ourselves. Yeah. I feel like there's so much social division yes. in young people right now. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to find that commonality. Um, and, and I think a lot of that, there's not so much social division happening, it's, it's almost created. Yes. Because if, if you ask a lot of young adults, they're like, well, I'm, I don't feel like that. Yeah. He's like, well, then who's feeding this, you know? Right, yeah. Where is this coming from? Yeah. But you're right. The Second Amendment is something that can divide everybody because everybody has the, the right to life, mm -hmm. liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. And with that right to life, we have to do the right to defend our yeah. life. And that is a human right, and it's unalienable to everyone. Yep, that's right. Speaking of bridging the gap, um, you know, there's a lot of our members that are on social media and active on social media but also they have kids, grandkids, mm -hmm. nieces and nephews that are best age, even younger than that. Um, I just want to encourage you to encourage them to, they are on social media anyways, most of them, 
uh, to follow some of these resources, um, some that I know. Uh, she mentioned Turning Point USA, which Christy also works with. Mm -hmm. They are such Trigger a great. Trigger University. Yes, they are great. Trigger is um, amazing. Mm -hmm. Trigger, uh, Students for 2A, mm -hmm. uh, who, uh, DC Project, follow their social media. Who else, ladies? Oh, man. I those feel like the, there's a those lot. Those are the main ones that I'm currently yeah. like active or mm -hmm. surrounding myself Same around. Here. A lot mm -hmm. of information. And Turning Point USA is doing really great things. They've got their own app now. They've got over-the-top television shows, which is digital shows. Mm -hmm. um, and they've and just brought in a young woman. I Paige. Paige is her Paige. name. Paige, Paige Rue, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she's doing some digital content for them from a young woman's perspective. All surrounding the 2A. All of her content is going to be about concealed carry, firearms training, um, legislative action. and So it's going to be very, very good in an educational database that can be used for a lot of young people. But finding yeah. those resources that's appealing to a younger demographic that's consumptive in a level that that they're gonna relate to yeah. is really important. And you're creating a lot of online content. Now, I am always blown away at some of your social media posts because I'm like, wow, this girl is wise beyond your years. Even how you speak right now, you're so eloquent. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I was speaking and and it was acknowledgeable like you at 21, at 20. 20. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so proud of, to be your friend that you're able to just speak on behalf Thank of you. the firearms community. Uh, the way you do. It's really impressive. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's its definitely been a learning curve for me. I used to be scared to death to talk on camera. I used to be very, very shy. But I think another thing that this community is really good at is bringing out the best in people um, and being involved with, I, I mean, just girls with guns for one, if focusing on that, mm -hmm. they have brought out a lot of confidence in me that I didn't know I had. Um, and, you know, having that, that female voice in the firearms industry is something that was lacking for a long time, but I think... A young female yeah. voice, too, and, yeah. and for your generation. And I think that's something that maybe is is really going to bring more people into the industry and into the community over the next few years, um, hopefully over the next many, many years. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, all we can do is educate more young people and hope that they, they grow up and hopefully get involved with people as incredible as the ones I've gotten involved with. So yeah. all of these ladies watching, they're chapter leaders. They're, they're leaders, they wanna organize and implement. Do you have any specific advice for them how they can organize or implement programs within their chapters that might be appealing to younger mm, Great question. Um, so I talk about this a lot, but social media is huge among my generation. We live in a very viral culture. Um, Gen Z is a, a very viral generation, viral oriented. Um, we love easily consumable content because we have very short attention spans. Um, and from, from somebody, I work in political marketing um, and do a lot with content creation in my professional life. Um, that's my normal day job, I guess. But using social media as a tool for reaching young people is going to be a big game changer in the next, I would say the next decade, because social media is only growing. Um, there's so many different platforms that can be utilized, but Instagram and Twitter are, are great platforms to use to reach young people. TikTok, but I'm not a big TikTok fan. Uh, I don't <laughs> but I would say definitely use social media to your advantage. Um, so a lot of ladies don't know how to use social media yes. to their advantage. This is a very broad spectrum. They're like, well, I, I posted a picture this week. 
that's not what we're talking yeah, about yeah. here, give, ladies. Give that, these ladies specifics, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, maybe they, to, you know, find a young person mm-hmm. that is on to what social media yes. means. Because yeah. it, is, it isn't about, I post a picture once a week, my mm-hmm. chapter's being visible. It's... It's literally like a machine that has to yeah. be oiled. Yeah, constantly. I, I agree. And utilizing those young people in your community that do understand the the viral culture, yeah. um, but also support the same things that we support is so great. But also, I think that there's a gap maybe with some of the women that don't know how to use social media to some of the young people. You have to come together on it, and the young people have to listen to the wisdom of the older people in the community. And the older people in the community have to really be understanding that there is a totally different virality to the culture right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and as sad as it is, that's the only way that you're going to reach my generation. And the generation. two generations right now aren't talking well together. Right. No. And, and that's, and that's a huge part that's of the, the division, yeah. the mm-hmm. division that's happening. Because there's so much wisdom to be gained from the older generation in the community. Um, but there's also expertise that some of these younger people have in the intricacies of social media and um, what our culture and our our younger generation likes to consume. Um, that I think if we could come together, there would be a huge shift in the amount of people coming into the community. In my head, I have come together <laughs> right now. I, I would do I like that, it. but it won't sound like no, that. No, me either. <laughs> It's how, playing in my head. It's playing in my head. And, and we need to do it. How can everybody find you, follow you? I mean, you're such an inspirational young woman. If people have questions, slip it into her DM. Yes. If you don't know slip what that means. Slip it into means, her DM. Slide, slide up in the DM. Slide, slide, slide into the slide. It's, it's slide. Slip, but slip, and slide. It's okay. Slip and slide. It's similar. Slip and slide. Slip <laughs> in the DM. If you don't have a DM, it's a direct message on yes. social media. Slip yes. and slide. I'm old. Okay, leave me alone. Slip into the DMs. <laughs> Slip it into the DMs. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. This works, okay? But you can. You can direct message yes. you on social media. How can people slip into your DM? That just showed you the gap right there That's that we're talking scary. about, the generational gap. The but kids yeah. say slide into DMs. I could mom, okay? <laughs> Literally. Oh, man. I'm like mother-daughter talking here. It's That's all good. So funny. <laughs> but 3 Gun Beth is my handle on every platform. Um, and, yes, definitely direct message me for information and education. Outstanding. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining Thank you guys us. Thank for you having for me. supporting the Well-Armed Woman. Thank you for reaching out to the amazing women in our chapters. We applaud you for being here and appreciate you beyond words. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. Welcome back, ladies. We have Gabby Franco here with us. We are so grateful to have you here, Gabby, as always. And I want to mention, before we get started on our Q&A, we are taking your questions. Whatever questions you have for Gabby, you can just get, um, get on the app, get on the platform, and I've got them right here so we can ask her directly. So, Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I think for a lot of us ladies, some of the kind of takeaway notes of the well-armed woman, you know, relating specifically to them is that we are powerful, our voice matters, and we can make a difference. And, you know, you you have so much of a story behind everything that you do, and it's so inspirational. I think everybody really probably at home watching, and then I know myself personally can really just feel like, wow, 
I feel more powerful because <laughs> Gabby says I am. <laughs> like, this is amazing. But I think the amazing thing is that sometimes we, most of the time, we underestimate ourselves and our impacts to others, not only on the Second Amendment, but in other aspects in life. That, you know, we look eye to eye to people. When I look at you, I look at you. And, you know, we don't see what is behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, what is behind, there's maybe, ha- there's happiness, mm-hmm. there's joy, there's success, but there's also failure, there's fear, there's concerns. And that little word of encouragement, mm-hmm. that little word of, you know what, we need to stick together, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment, that your concerns, your fears, you're not alone. And it may be repetitive, may be something that people may think, oh, you know, they, they are probably tired of hearing this, but that may be what that person needs to hear to bumped up that energy and say, you know what, I'm, I'm also part of it and I want to be part of it. I want to be that voice too. And at the end of the day, we are in this together. We cannot expect that the person who is has some sort of popularity is the only one who speaks up. We talk to our friends, our families, and that's so important. Especially coming from where you come from, your background, the government, you understand more than so many people the importance of being able having the freedoms to even have a voice. And, you know, something that's amazing is that we, it's something I think is human behavior that we sometimes don't listen to those who tell us, mm-hmm. watch out. Like, you see the, chil- the children, you know, the parents says, don't do that, because if you do that, and you don't have that experience, and sometimes we don't listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it takes effort, even for me, that I say so many things and you get dismissed, because they say, it's not gonna happen here. Uh, this is a different country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, sometimes it's discouraging, because you're like, are they listening? And especially, like you're saying, coming from Venezuela, where many people, said the same thing. It's never going to happen here. We are uh, the richest country in the area. Venezuela, that's what it was. The largest, we have the largest oil reserves in the world. I mean, technically we're a very rich country and yet it's so easy to slip and go down. So going to what you're saying, what you're saying is that you just need to keep speaking up because if my coach, if he would have been discouraged, he was he, he was Cuban. He would he wouldn't have kept saying what he said. I probably wouldn't be here, you know. Um, and and I think that's so important. And I don't think, you know, I had a plan B, the United States. I don't think there's plan B after this. There's no plan C. There is so. nowhere else to go. I don't think so. With the mm. opportunities that yeah. this country offers, uh, the opportunities not only for success. It's just I mean I've been rock bottom. And by my, I want to say by myself because gladly have people, friends that, you know, yes. encouraged me. But it's the opportunities that you have here that you, we can just walk up and get out of that situation. That's not, you don't see that everywhere around the world. No, especially now we're publicly seeing that what's happening in Afghanistan. Just these people who are fighting to get out because they have no voice. Nothing. They yeah. have nothing. They're scared for their lives. And they've had they've had no voice whatsoever. And I just I just think it, it's unfathomable to somebody who's born and raised here, and who's always had a voice. You know, it's mm-hmm. so easy to take for granted. But when we see it, what's happening on the news, it brings you. It's a quick reality check. It is of how important it is to have a firearm. Yes. And the the 
the freedom that we have to be able to train with our firearm is something that most people don't have. And we are very blessed for that. And, and even if people do have the ability, it's not always common. Like in your situation, mm -hmm. coming from Venezuela, one of the questions we had is how did you get into shooting? Because you know, it's not common for women to be participating in shooting sports in South America. Mm -hmm. So how did how did you bridge that gap to like, I, I'm going to be the lady to change the world? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very interesting because what people know nowadays about Venezuela, that's not what Venezuela was back when I was a young girl. You know, people were able to own firearms. People were able to conceal and carry, go and get their concealed carry license. There was a, such a thing as a concealed carry license mm -hmm. in Venezuela. And um, my dad, he came from a family where hunters and farms, so he took us to the gun range and that's how we started it. And that was pretty much my dad's. We were three girls, so I guess, you know, no <laughs> boys at that time, so he will take us to, uh, to, to do those kind of activities. And it was great because the opportunity was there. Mm -hmm. You see, the opportunity was there. The problem is that now, this opportunity doesn't exist for not other women, mm -hmm. not other girls. And that's a problem. When we start narrowing it down things, you are chopping the opportunities for people to explore, to live life to the fullest and to learn. Like what we just talked, you know, having the opportunity to learn, to be better. Whether you like it, you are in it or not. Like, to give an example, my mother, you would think that my mom shoots and all that. She did not. She was not interested mm. in firearms. Yet, she supported us. Yeah. Mm. She supported my dad for her, you know, his guns, having a gun for carry, for mm -hmm. protect us and Keeping everything. Keeping in the house. And, yeah. She, to, the, to my sisters and I, she was our, you know, our best cheerleader. Mm -hmm. Was not her thing. Perfect. But her mindset... She, was, she had an open mind mm -hmm. to let us do what we wanted to do and support us doing it. I wouldn't probably be in the Olympic Games, I wouldn't have gone to the Olympic Games if it weren't for her willingness to overpass probably her fears, yeah. her concerns, yeah. or her lack of knowledge. She sounds like she's an amazing woman. Uh, she's my mama. Aww. And speaking of family, <laughs> we have a question. What was your life like when you left your family and you came here to the U.S.? It was challenging, you know. I left Venezuela about four years after Hugo Chavez took power, the socialist. And, you know, as a young person, I didn't want to leave my country. I left my country. However, as the years passed, they changed the constitution. He had already changed the constitution. That, like, there was, he made so many different steps that there was not going to be a way back. And so I did through the voice or through the knowledge of my coach who's Cuban, um, I understood that this is no, it was not going to get better. Um, there were a lot of riots for, for, um, against the government generally because they were obviously taking a lot of things from, 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 from the people. And mind it, we didn't have a second amendment rights. We don't have like a, the First Amendment rights. Mm. You see what I mean? We don't. We have it in a general universal rights, but you know what I mean. It's not yeah. like so ingrained like it's supposed to be. So it was easy to slip, you know, from okay. the government. And, yeah. and 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 also another thing I always say is that the government have this idea they that they do. They say let's do this for the common good. Mm. This is 
this is let's let's you know engage in this activity for the common good. Let's that make the very familiar. Let's make the government yeah. bigger for the common good, mm -hmm. and that's basically what I did. So, obviously, coming here, I didn't see a future for me or how I envisioned since I was a little girl, um, and. You know, I left everything behind. I was, I had already finished my last competition in Brazil. I had won three gold medals. I was Olympic hope for Athens 2004. And I just did a calculated risk and I say, you know, even if I, even if it's my second Olympics and I win a medal, let's say I win a medal, what do I do with a medal? Mm -hmm. If you don't have freedom, if you, don't, you have, don't have anything. You have nothing? That was something very profound that you said, and and um, if you don't have freedom, you don't have anything. And, and no. right now, we are truly in a fight for freedom. And as we lose these small tastes of um, liberty and the ability to have personal responsibility, and that's one thing that we, I mean, all, all of us ladies at the Well Armed Woman don't take lightly. With freedom comes responsibility. Yeah. With gun ownership comes responsibility and that's why all of us are so involved with education and training and outreach. Is there some major takeaways that you have for ladies where, you know, help them in their communities? What are some grassroots activism efforts that they can do to either just get to the gun range more or become a, a stronger supporter or proponent or voice for the Second Amendment. There's a lot of ladies that don't want to be, um, you know, maybe necessarily like me and Morgan and out forward facing, but yeah. there's a lot of that it can be done. Yes. So one of the things I always say is don't, don't close the door for those people who don't believe what you believe. Uh, mm -hmm. Breach that gap, you know, reduce that gap. Be willing to have the conversations, even those people who are completely against guns. Let's sit down. And even if we don't come to a uh, complete agreement, at least ask questions. Leave them with a question, with a question mark. They can go back home and think about that. Yeah. And, and that's how we change people, not by us imposing, but making them analyze and think about the possibilities. Like, what would be the possibility that you engage, that you are in your home by yourself? And an intruder is going to go in your house. How are you going to protect yourself, your child, your family? At the same time, besides come, you know, talking to, to people like that, you can also um, be involved in organizations like the DC Project and other political organizations that can help you uh, or you can help them reach out more people. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gabby, for sitting down with us and, and speaking to our members, but also everything that you do in, in our community and for, for using your voice and your platform in such a way to help us all. We are so appreciative. Thank you for having me. Yes, we can't thank you enough. Thank you. Stay tuned. We will be back here shortly. Hey everybody, our next speaker is an incredible woman, Nikki Burgett, and she is a certified law enforcement instructor that specializes and teaches several courses for the State Department's Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program. This lady knows what she's talking about. She has traveled extensively working with Kurdish security forces in Iraq, training spear teams, uh, teaching anti-terrorism courses in the Philippines. She's been all over the world. She's got a 
advanced homeland security training. Um, and she's truly a knowledgeable person that comes from a place of experience to really help others prevent and mitigate acts of violence. So, oh my gosh, you guys get ready for a deep dive into life-changing information from Nikki. This woman literally is the epitome of can do it all and is a badass. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. I, I was blown away by your PowerPoint and how enlightening everything was because I think a lot of us have experienced different body response stressors from going from white to black. And, and I mean, you're like, identify, I get, I get what's happening with, in this situation and the way you colorized it and it was incredible. So it's Cooper's color code, which a lot of people are familiar with, but they don't really focus on what that, how that impacts them. And the example that I use is just how difficult it is to even dial 911 mm -hmm. when you're under stress. And uh, I, I work in law enforcement, but I've experienced that before, where I'm like, why, why won't my phone work? Well, it's operator error. And then it's under that, under stress, even the small, the small things, like you can't make, you cannot make your, your body react. Mm -hmm. And someone else gave me an example of, they were using cold ice water, and they were, um, it's like so much time in the ice water, and then they had to pull the hands out and try to load, um, load their weapon and fire. It's like that. If you're under stress and you have to do something small and minute, dialing 911, um, loading your weapon, it just becomes incredibly difficult. So this is where muscle memory comes in. And then the more you do it, the more your body will just react. Mm -hmm. And even if your mind's in black or you think you're in black, then your body's just, nope, we're, no, we're going, we're going because we've already practiced this and we know what, we're here, what you're doing, it's okay. Yeah, so. I've been in a situation where I had someone try to break in my house and my, my hand went directly for my firearm, finger off the trigger, pointed in a safe direction because I had been practicing. But when I called 911 and they asked me for my name, the one thing, the first thing you learn as a baby, my name, I couldn't remember my name. I said, Brittany which is my middle name, yeah. that, but I, and I said, okay, I get it. It's real, it's a real thing. There was a, um, a story that somebody, um, somebody had told me where a guy was, um, he was confronted by a gang member who had pulled a weapon on him. Mm -hmm. And he said that he, he was going to pull his weapon, but somebody from behind him had actually shot, shot him and put him down. And, and he was shot, he was like, wow, I didn't even have to fire because, and there was no one behind him and the, his gun was in his hand. Mm -hmm. So without even thinking, because he had, he had done this so many times, he drew his weapon and put him down and he thought someone else had done it. Wow. wow, that is incredible. And it goes back to, you don't rise up to the occasion, you fall back to your level of training. Lowest level of training, yes. And that's, that's hard for us. But the body can't go where the mind hasn't been. So mm -hmm. if we don't train our minds first, then we are tactical. We I'm just gonna, have a lot of really cool stuff. And, I'm going to pause you there because okay. someone just asked, do you have, can you give specific mental training exercises? Yes, yeah, so playing the what-if game. Is, is a big one. It's anytime you walk into a new location, you go, okay, so if something were to happen right now, what is my primary exit? What's my secondary exit? What exit could I force if I had to? Um, a window. What am I gonna use to break it? You do this all the time, and it comes down to, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time, you know, 30 seconds to a minute, and, and you're like, okay, I'm done. I, I feel good about what my options are when something happens, because we don't, we don't say if, when, when something happens, this is what I'm gonna do. And I know we call it the what if game, but 
I guess we could call the what what win game. What win game. The what win game. But this it's what we're doing and you have to have a plan and there's two things that you have to think about one what am i mentally um, willing to do and what am i physically capable of doing and when you start doing your what if okay so i'm going to i'm on the third floor i'm going to break the window what am i going to use do i know if the glass has the safety film on it um am i willing to jump out of a third floor uh, a third story floor window People have survived from, from that kind of height. They've actually survived from higher. But can you make yourself jump? And that is, that's a big thing. And if you're not there, then you need a different plan. So Sun Tzu says, know yourself, know your enemy. Um, knowing your enemy gives you good offense. Knowing yourself gives you good defense. So in this presentation, really what they're focused on is what, what am I? Who am I? What am I willing to do to survive? Mm -hmm. And there are three things that I want um, everyone to remember. One is move, two is breathe, three is survive. And that survival is up to you. That plan of survival is yours. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you how to formulate it because I don't know who you are. And every situation is different. And that's really what training your mind is about. And just going through the what if this happens and having agile plans because you can't plan for every situation. Mm -hmm. You just have to know this is what I'm going to do and, yeah. and then go with it. We're going to go a little bit over on this session, but um, response to threat. In your PowerPoint, you talked about a lot of women second-guessing or people second-guessing what they hear. Oh, it wasn't a gunshot. It was a car backfiring. Um, and then seeing, not necessarily believing, and freezing before the fight or flight kicks in. Yes. Walk us through that a little bit and how we can possibly mentally become more responsive to getting through this process. Okay, so the first part is you need to make sure that you, you do say when. And by saying when, that helps you overcome that. When you hear something, your first response is to put it in a benign box because that's what we do. We, we compartmentalize things. We hear a sound and we're, we're, in, a, we're in a situation where we're, we're not on the range. So why would that be firearms. I mean, I know what firearms sound like, but I'm not in a situation where I should be hearing it. So we're going to go ahead and just automatically stick it in this box. That means it's somebody dropped something heavy, somebody slammed a door. I'm not concerned about it. And you need to really question it. It's a loud noise. Okay. So what is it? And, and really let your, your body is going to, to tell you there's something wrong. Pay attention to it. Mm. When you're in a different, when you're inside, the acoustics make that fire, that, um, the rounds sound very different. So even if you recognize that it's, that it's firearms and that it's a shotgun, or sorry, um, any sort of firearm. Yeah, any, any yeah. sort of firearm. That um, you may not know immediately the direction that it's coming from, so that is also important um, to think about. If you can do any type of live fire training, um, like at a shoot house or um, where they do blanks inside of a building. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to a lot of active shooter events where they'll, they'll do that. Those are, those are things that you can do because it really makes um, you understand, hey, this is, wow, it sounds really different. Mm -hmm. The seeing what, what you're believing is when you see things and you're like, well, that can't be, that's not what it, I think it is. It yeah. cannot be what I think it is. And part of that is because we will say, well, if something ever happens or stuff like that never happens to me. You may have friends that say that. Um, I still do, and I try to convince them otherwise. But it's, it's all about changing that mindset. So we don't say, we don't say if, we say when. We don't, we don't second guess that those hairs on the back of your neck yeah. or that 
feeling in the pit of your stomach, your body is telling you something. Pay attention. And it doesn't matter if you're wrong. Mm -hmm. It is way, it is okay to be wrong. Um, it doesn't mean you're paranoid. It just means that you're prepared. Mm -hmm. And aware. And aware. Yes. And aware is absolutely important. But yeah. the freeze, um, the freeze part is, that's our, our go-to as humans, that it, it's because we can't overcome. It's because we can't believe what we heard. We don't believe what we see. And then we're at a point where when it, we realize, our body realizes that, uh, that oh crap moment. We're in shock. That, yes. We're like, uh, then we're like, I, what, well, what do I do? What do yeah. I do? Mm -hmm. So the first response should never be to freeze. Um, flee should be, should be the first one, but that's not always going to be an option. And I'm not here to tell you make fight your first response, but you may be in a position where that is the only thing that you can do. So you need to be prepared for, you know, what are my options? Which is why you've already identified several exits and weapons of opportunity. You may not have your weapon on you. And because of the work I do, I often don't have one. So you look for whatever it's gonna take. And if that's your thumb in their eye, um, you're going all the way through it. So you do whatever it takes to survive, but it's just up to, it's up to you as an individual to decide what that is. I'm gonna to try to squeeze in one more question. I know we're running, we're running behind. We just don't have enough time for you. I wish we had way more time, but many of our ladies are in their late, later 70s and they fear they're not strong enough to react to a physical encounter. What can they do to build confidence besides becoming mentally prepared? So it's so intent. Um, there's a couple of books that I highly recommend. One is um, The Gift of Fear. The second one is um, When Violence is the Answer. And it's, it's a wealth of information. I don't know either of these wonderful authors, but I will tell you I shamelessly promote them because their content is that good. Um, the intent of the threat is to bring you harm, whether to end your life, to rob you, whatever it is. But they know exactly what it is that they're willing to do to do that. I want you to understand who you are as a person and know what you're willing to do to survive and, and go all in. And no matter what your age is or their size versus your size, there are things that you can do to them that will, that will put them down. So eyes, throat, groin, those are, for me, those are the, the three. And I work in law enforcement and I'm a lot smaller mm. than, than, any, than most people that I arrest. So it's, you know, what, are, what am I willing to do and what can I do? But your intent has to be above theirs. Your intent to survive has to be greater than their intent to do you harm. As we wrap up, where can these ladies find more of, how can they connect with you? Your website, your courses? So I have online courses and they can go to my website, which is NikkiBurgett.com and go to the training tab and that will, that gives you access to the online courses. And um, if they sign up for the active threat course um, today, then they get preventing violent attacks for free. So I'll just get a notification when they're ready to take the second course because each one of them has a certain amount of time um, that they have access to it. All they have to do is shoot me an email and say I'm ready to take that second course and, and I will get them enrolled. Awesome. That is exciting that you guys can continue this virtual conversation with Nikki and continue to further your education and helping us be aware and safe. And uh, we really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being here. No yes, problem. My, um, they can email me directly. They can also text me. I tend not to answer my phone because I really don't want that extended warranty on my car. Yeah. But, but if they have any questions, <laughs> they feel free to contact me directly. I will always respond. Great. Thank you so thank much you for so that. Much. These, I thank know the ladies me. are very thankful. Thank you. Stay tuned, we will be back. And you are now, are you still in Tennessee? You're in Tennessee right now? 
Um, not right now. Right now I am in the beautiful state of Montana, but yes, I am from Tennessee. I'm visiting Montana. Lucky, <laughs> lucky, lucky. I love Montana. Well, Miss Morgan is from Tennessee, so um, yeah, it's a great state. Thank you so much for what you have done to transform state laws in the state of Tennessee. Um, now, you were really instrumental into transforming restaurant carry. Can you tell um, our viewers a little bit more about what kind of advocacy work it took to make those legislative changes and, and maybe some of the advice you can give our well-armed woman chapter leaders can help us change other legislation in states around the country? Sure. Um, well, I don't know that I can take a lot of credit. Um, I just was, I'm just a regular person and something really horrible happened in my life to Ben and I, and it made me decide to get involved. You know, obviously I believed in our second amendment rights. Obviously I had my handgun carry permit, but did I ever get involved politically? Did I ever go out and advocate? No. I mean, I just never thought about it until this happened. And it's unfortunate that it took that for me to get involved. I feel like now I wish I had gotten involved before. Um, but I mainly just stood up and said, you know what, something has to change. So I started going to meetings with grassroots organizations, um, the Tennessee Firearms Association. I went to their meetings and I just started doing media, talking to the news, talking to people, letting them know that, hey, I'm a victim of this horrible crime and I don't want more gun control. Gun control actually put us in this situation where we were absolutely defenseless. And the bad guy who violated all of these gun control laws, he didn't even get charged with any of those gun control law violations. It's ridiculous. We have these laws on the books, but then they don't go and prosecute these people for that. I guarantee you if I had carried illegally that night. Yeah, that's what's upsetting is, is so many people say we need more laws, more laws, when it's really, actually, we, we just need to enforce the ones we have more. What type of um, difference it is in sentencing would it have made if they, do you know if it would have made a difference from his um, second degree murder conviction versus if they had done first degree plus all the other firearms laws, if they would have actually truly followed mm -hmm. the letter of the law, what would that conviction time and jail time look like in a consensual, uh, in a larger? Well, they actually did prosecute him for first degree, but the judge dropped it to only second degree. Obviously, you know, first degree, well, in Tennessee, it's 51 years, mandatory. You have to serve 51 years before you're even eligible for parole. So it's pretty much life uh, in prison. But, you know, for a victim, Every single year that he remains locked up is another year that I can live my life without having to worry that he's there, without having to look over my shoulder constantly. And that matters to victims. Yeah. You know, even if it's just five more years tacked on 
to the end of, you know, whatever he got. That matters to victims. It's like I'm currently fighting for an additional five years because he's been stalking me from prison by sending these twisted love letters. And some people I'm sure are like, why are you fighting so hard? I mean, I've been at this for well over a year. I've now gone to the media again. And it's the reason that this was taken seriously, I believe, um, because the media brought attention to it. But yeah, I'm fighting for every single year I can keep him locked up. Um, because it's terrifying, not, not only for myself, but I don't want him to get out and harm some other person and destroy some other family. I think he's extremely dangerous. And, um, I guess my main point that I, you know, I've tried to educate people as best I can is you as a law abiding person should be able to protect yourself and your loved ones wherever you are. Because evil, unfortunately, can visit you anywhere. And I don't want people to be paranoid, but I do want them to be prepared. Because I learned that evil can show up right in the middle of a busy restaurant. Now, you had mentioned in your video that you you knew this man was stalking you. And you had told staff to, to remove him because you were afraid. Did you, there's some of the questions from the, um, from the viewers at home are asking if, did you know your stalker before? And um, in your opinion, are stalkers usually an acquaintance or some sort of stranger to their victims? Um, stalkers are usually an acquaintance. Um, I mean, of course you can, there are strangers stalkers out there, but by and large, they, they tend to be acquaintances. And this man was, he was a karaoke customer. Uh, ben and I ran a mobile karaoke business as a side job. Um, and yeah, this guy was a karaoke customer. He would come in to sing and he started to kind of become a, a regular, you know, customer somewhat. He would come in and, and sing a lot and I didn't really know him. He, he seemed, you know, when you work in the tourism industry in Nashville, Tennessee, which karaoke is, I mean, you're working in different venues around downtown and you meet so many tourists and there's just so many different types of people and they're your customer. You know, there are nice people, mean people, happy people, sad people, people are going through different things in their lives and um, they're your customer and you're nice to them. And I was nice to him. And um, he just, he became very strange. Um, he was always, a, he seemed a little bit socially stunted, kind of awkward, a little bit weird. But, you know, so were other customers of mine. I was nice to them. And I think most of us are like that. You know, they're your customer, you're respectful, and you're nice to them. We've got some more questions. Lots of questions. So I'm trying to read them. There's some ladies that really just want to reach out and say thank you for being so brave in sharing your story. I think there's a lot of people that can relate to, to what you're experiencing or uh, maybe not in the same capacity but in a similar way. But also, you know, it gives us something to really think about and pay attention to. You know, looking back at the situation, is there anything um, – that you could, you know, maybe advice to give ladies other than just situational awareness that that might help them in, in a situation like this? 
I really think situational awareness is key. You know, we can all go to um, firearms training classes and we can learn about the laws and, you know, shoot, don't shoot scenarios. And you can go train, train, train. And that's great. And you should. You should absolutely go train. But situational awareness is something that you kind of, um, I guess, have to develop um, over time. But I'll just tell you this. My, my firearms trainer, he's since passed away, but his name was uh, Buford Toon. And he was a former Metro police officer in Nashville. And... He scared, he scared the crap out of me. I'll just say it. Like when he first trained me, he would show us, his students, these really scary videos of really horrible things that would happen to people. And he would talk about situational awareness and how this situation could have been different, um, how you should react, how you should think, how, you know, pay attention to your surroundings, know the difference between cover and concealment. Um, and he really made you think about the situation and, you know, are you in a dark parking lot? What should you do? What should you not do? And um, it really changed my thinking. It really, I think he probably helped save my life the night that Ben was murdered. Um, I do have some survivor guilt. Um, that's gotten better over the years, but there were a number of years that I felt very guilty that I lived. Um, but for whatever reason, my training kicked in and I knew that something was wrong. You know, I knew this guy could be trouble. I didn't know how much trouble. Obviously, I didn't know that he had a gun on him. Obviously, I didn't know that he was capable of murdering someone in front of 50 people in the middle of a busy restaurant. But my gut told me something is incredibly wrong. You need to get away from him. You need to go get management and have him removed. And I stood beside a brick wall, maybe 30 feet away. And something told me, don't let him see you because he had no idea where I had gone. And um, I could kind of see him, but he had no idea where I was. And I think that decision probably saved my life because it would have been very easy for him to either kidnap me or kill me or who knows what he would have done with me. I don't, I don't know for sure. So this type of training that you experienced <clears throat> That happened prior to your 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 husband being murdered because you had a, just a bad feeling, and I think this just really reiterates a lot of what we're learning in in any situation. Is if you have a gut feeling, to really trust that, and you trusted your instincts, you and and you did get training, and it's an absolute. I mean, I can't even fathom what you have gone through. Um, as a wife, as a woman, um, I mean, in my heart, I just, it breaks for you. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that you are brave enough and strong enough to come out here and face the world and empower so many women in, in 
<clears throat> help us learn from from your voice and your experience. Thank you. I just I really want people to know that not all victims of violent crime are against guns. You know, and, and unfortunately, the media does not share stories like mine very often. Um, I've had to work really hard to get my situation out there to help educate people because so many times over and over again, we see on the mainstream media where survivors of what they, I guess they call it gun violence. Um, they go on and join moms demand action and they, they don't like gun ownership. Um, some of them want to ban guns. Some of them just want, you know, strict, really, really restrictive gun control that really only is going to affect law-abiding people. It's not going to affect the bad guys. Um, but I think it's important that victims get out there and say, hey, you know what? I want to be able to carry a gun. And here's why. Someone wants to know, do you travel and speak? They would love to have you as a guest speaker in October, which is Violent Crime Awareness Month at their chapter. Yes, I do travel. Yeah. If I know ahead of time and, you know, I'm able to get it scheduled, sure. How can the Twisters connect with you um, on social media, plug your website in whatever way you would, um, you would like to be connected with? Sure. If you want to plug my website, that would be great. It's stalkedanddefenseless.com. And as far as my social media, um, I pretty much keep it on lockdown. I only really add people that I know. I know Christy, she's on there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm just really careful about who I add as a friend. But my email, um, you can reach me at Nikki. That's N-I-K-K-I at crimeresearch.org. Awesome. We thank you so much for everything you're doing to help legislative policy, better decision-making, and in empowering women to get involved to help change legislation in their home states. It is something that we all have the ability to at least influence. Yes. Um, thank you so much today for sharing your powerful story with us and uh, we're glad that you were able to join us virtually. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you guys and thank you for everything that you do. We'll see you soon. Have a good time in Montana. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to the Wild and Uncut podcast. If you would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to my Pursue the Wild digital series on YouTube and follow me at Christy Titus on Facebook and Instagram.